1: Hello and welcome again to another edition of gamesatwork.biz. This is Michael Martine, one of your co-hosts for your weekly dose of technology, games, gamification, metaversing, and all that kind of good fun stuff. And I'm really happy to be back again with my colleagues Andy and Michael. Uh, Mr. Michael Rowe, how are you doing today?
0: Oh, I am just peachy keen. And uh, glad glad you made it out of the wilderness. Uh, how's the fork? Spoon. Uh, at least that's what the rumor was last week. A spoon. 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 Okay. spoon, spoon, Rip your heart out with a spoon. Yeah, no. rip your heart out with a spoon. Yeah, well, that was that was one of my favorite lines from *Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves*.
1: <laughs> yeah, my my uh, scary scary diacron with a with a spoon was certainly one of the things that was uh, c- casting fear into all my opponents' hearts. But um, but uh, thank you. Uh, didn't didn't have to whittle too much. It was already there. Andy, how about you? How are you, sir?
2: <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's very warm, and I'm hoping not to melt while we record. But uh, yes, I'm very, I'm very well, and excited to see lots of different stories this week. Oh yeah, we, we've we've got quite a few. A, so it's a range. Um, it's a
1: range of, of all sorts of topics. Um, Smorgasbord. You know, the the first one kind of grabbed my attention, dealing with iOS 16, and I'm I'm not yet playing with the current. Release builder and and, uh, and betas, but um, one of the new features, and I bet Michael, you've got a perspective on this, is live activities. And so live notifications up on the lock screen. And this particular example was showing how various sports scores could be showing on your device. And I would imagine that for you, and maybe for many, you'd want a way to make sure you suppress that so it doesn't give you sports scores when you really don't want to know about them until you've had a chance to watch the game. So,
0: Yeah, spoiler alert, right? (laughs) I mean, come on. I, I, I can see many different use cases that are positive. yes. And I guess if you're into sports betting and you're trying to get the results of, like, 20 games at once, then maybe. But, but yeah, I, I know this is the sample that they always talk about, uh, and it's, to me, the worst use case that you can imagine. Uh, I, I like the idea of, you know, live updates for, like, package delivery. Mm-hmm. Right? That would be a cool update. You know, it just – your package just arrived in Knoxville, Tennessee uh, or, or whatever – Right Or, you know, weather alerts. They've got the weather, you know, widgets, so that's that's
2: fine. But, yeah, live updates. Eh, What do you do without for the default use cases? What is it about Knoxville, Tennessee, that, that, it, that it becomes a, a black hole for all the packages? I think it's a, a FedEx hub. It is. If uh, I
0: remember correctly. Okay, yeah. well,
2: anyway, I was going to comment about the... Um, background use of this. I mean, presumably, it's going to have to be somewhat more aggressive than it has been with keeping up to date with what's going on. I mean, we get enough notifications already. Now, this is different to notifications. It's a static object on the screen that updates rather than continually popping up and pinging. But either way, you'd imagine that some some of these things are going to need to be more active in terms of getting that data. So I'm curious to know what it's going to do for data usage and for battery life. Um, especially with the rumor that there's an always-on lock screen.
0: Yeah, if you think about it, the um, the intent processing that was introduced, gosh, 2019, 2018, um, for uh, iOS Intents, which is how um, SiriKit and, uh, and iOS as a whole learns behavior in order to then present you with information that you might need at that time or recommendations, you know, looks like you're going to, you know, clippy, it looks like you're about to call somebody. Are you calling Michael? Right. Uh, That types of those types of options. Those are simple intents that are submitted by apps. uh, And there's a logical limit internal to the app on how often the updates are going to be processed. So, The infrastructure has been there for a long time and just enabling certain apps to um, accept those intense updates on a more frequent basis. Seems like they could really manage that because they don't give you much of an example, right? They show you one app with a live update. Mm. So you're not talking about 30 different apps doing it. Uh, And, I'm assuming because a lot of intent processing, which is one of the things that the Siri watch face did too, is using those same intents. uh, They tend to be time and location driven. So certain times, certain locations, certain intent messages will bubble up to the top. Uh, So so I can see how they could optimize this, but you're right. It's going to have some impact on, on battery performance. And I'm wondering if the always on screen uh, rumored always on screen with uh, iOS 16 um, will help offset that some, just like on the watch, when they enabled always on watch updates. Instead of doing you know 60 to 120 updates per second, they do one per second, right?
1: It's uh, really interesting. And, and you're, you're right, Michael, I was I was noodling on this a little bit too, because you, you could easily be overloaded here, just like you are in others. So if if you gave the, you know, I'm at work mode, you might be able to have it filter on work related activities, or um, it, it might mute other conversations or other things that you didn't care about I'm, quite at the
2: time. You see, I, I'm, I have a concern or a question around the The modality thing i think that's a fantastic idea but the fact is that i haven't enabled well i I don't really use it myself to the degree that i could because i've got so many things that i think i'm interested in all the time and Uh i i don't have the mental um regimen to sit down and really organize it all into all of those different categories (laughs) right now that's uh, that, that's 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 where really I am. Is an at the issue with it. I think that's where I am with it all right now. I think a lot of the devices, and 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 we've seen this increasingly with people commenting that some of the apps are you know deliberately avoiding or ignoring the rules in terms of what they notify you for. Um, they're only supposed to on the on iOS at least only supposed to notify you for specific categories of stuff, and yet they're pushing offers and other things through those notifications. And people are sort of saying, "How long before you know Apple has some kind of filter for that, or some kind of, you know, um, enforcement against that?" And um, in principle, you can fix it all by going moving into the category system, but you kind of have to start all over again, I think, to, to make it work.
0: Yeah, I I, I really struggled with uh, their their whole <laughs> modality. I, I tried to set up things like on my work machine, if my calendar says I'm in a, you know, a video meeting, then I only want these two types of things to come through and only for these three people, right? Yeah. That's the granularity I'd like to set up. But as you, Andy, that's just crazy. The, the number of iterations of that that I would have to set up would just be ludicrous. And they don't have a good... Kind of inverse where you say, I always want Andy to interrupt me, no matter always, what. except, right? It's either always or app by app by app by modality by modality and, by modality.
2: And something else I was thinking of is that the app library, again, this is speaking as an iOS user, but that's actually made things worse in terms of if I don't have things on my home screen, then they're still there, I, but then I never use them. I completely forget what I downloaded these apps for, or what some, and often, oftentimes what they even do. So I really need to start over and be a lot more rigorous. I think that's probably where I'm heading. I, I was talking to Michael Rowe before the show, and there's an app um, that's just come out, or it's coming out, called Arc Browser, which is a completely rethought web browser. Um, now I say completely rethought; it runs on top of Chromium but uh it has a really interesting user experience and at the moment it's invite only, and i just got access this week and i started trying to use it and i love it and i love what they're doing with them onboarding and they've got a very personalized onboarding experience and that it's got a without going into a full review you can find some some videos and things online and you'll see people tweeting about it occasionally it's mac only for initially um it's got a tabs down the side concept rather than along the top, which Mm -hmm. changes the way that you use it. Um, And it's also got spaces within the tab inside each kind of, you have a side panel and then you can have multiple spaces. You can have one for work, one for personal, one for project X, one for, and keep your tabs more organized that way. And you have to kind of play with it. And we'll see a video to understand some of the, the things there, but, and it of course imports all of your content from an existing browser and all of your, passwords or cookies or whatever like that. That's fine, except I'm now at the point where I'm running two totally separate profiles, one for work, one for home. And my work one, I don't have at all on my home laptop. My home one, I do have on my work laptop, so I can do some home stuff sometimes, but I never, I very rarely open it now just to keep myself focused on work. And I kind of need that hard separation of two separate profiles. And because this app, Arc, is currently... Sitting on top of Chromium, it's got these nice concepts, but I'm still going to end up in one browser profile, which will be this big bucket of stuff. Anyway, we've digressed a long <laughs> way from live activities in iOS 16, but I think um, there's there's a lot of issues I like that around. Diversion. Yeah, I think there's a lot of active thought processes that that, that we've spent a lot. We've spent 20 years with these devices, or 15 or whatever with these devices becoming integrated into our lives, but we haven't been very thoughtful about how that's happened. And we're now at a point, well, I feel like I'm at a point, even, even if this isn't a universal we thing, that it's very difficult to untangle again without starting over. That's how I feel.
1: I, I appreciate that, Andy. And, and I think that a lot of people feel the same way and it's hard, right? Because we're, we're trying to optimize and we're, we're taking advantage of the things we can take advantage of, but the doing that requires almost a degree of coding, right? You know, it's, it's like you're now having to write the logic about what you do, how you do it, where you do it.
2: Since, since we went down a rabbit hole, I will just also point out earlier on about, uh, About Knoxville, Tennessee, I'll point point out there was a (laughs) there was a great video this week from uh, Tom Scott, who does some amazing videos on YouTube, and uh, this one is how the U.S. Postal Service reads terrible handwriting, where he visits the the one place in the U.S. now, which uh, is the big center where they they send uh, well, they do all the processing of all of the OCR the stuff that cannot be OCR'd um, from the mail system and uh, he can't show any of it or real on, on screen because it's private mail, but uh, he goes through a training process and program of... But is it private or public? Is the outside of the mail private or public? Well, anyway, <laughs> without going into that debate, there's a very good bonus video that we will drop in related to that. And yes. um, apart from that, it seems like a good transition to talk about... We were talking about maybe having to start all over again. Maybe let's talk about... Trashing the old order, tearing down the established hierarchies. Yes. And and, and establishing then something new.
1: Maybe, maybe something better, maybe not, depending on your point of view. Um, maybe something darker. It's about order. It's about law and order. So, <laughs> uh, long-time listeners of this show will know that we have an affinity for certain bricks. And uh, the Nerdist website had a particular video to feed or scratch that particular itch. And it is all about the building of the Jedi temple on Coruscant and what it was like to do this. Now it's not at minifig scale because that would be just super huge. It is, um, it is micro Lego figure scale, which is good, but they did put minifigs in it. If it were really minifig scale, it'd probably be like another several feet taller. Um, I was, it's awesome. I was impressed with this. Uh, I was impressed with the way it was built, and my goodness, the way they built it was like rock solid for the ages. Um. <laughs> it's, a, it's a,
2: it's about an eight and a half minute video, which obviously, if you watch at double speed, you can get through in about four. <laughs> um, but it's already <laughs> sped up, so you're going to see people building something very, very fast. Uh, yes. That's it's uh, how it's fast really I build my stuff. I particularly like <laughs> the, the inside where the battle is going on um, with uh, Order 66 and um, the Jedi having little lit up lightsabers. And yeah, it's fun. I like it a lot. I'm the, very impressed. The thing that I really liked about it was the
0: use of various clear pieces to have um, the one um, bounty hunter flying up next to the side of the temple. Oh, yeah. And he's he's sticking out on the side, but it's via clear pieces, right? It was yeah, cool stuff.
1: Yeah. So give this video a watch. You'd be inspired, and if you've got fifty thousand pieces lying around, you too could build the jet.
0: Well,
2: apparently they built it in a week, right? Which is which itself yeah. is pretty impressive, I think. It is. They must have had a really good plan for, for what they were doing. Uh, must do because uh, otherwise. And- Lego-related uh, excitement is that the London Leicester Square store has reopened after several months' closure, um, and mm-hmm. has regained its uh, status as the largest Lego store in the world, doubling its nearly doubling its uh, floor space, having redone all of the uh, builds inside. So I think they've got a um, uh, James Bond with a DB9 uh, Aston Martin, um, you know, there. They which is I. Th- by the looks of the pictures, I've not been in yet, it looks like where they used to have um, the tube carriage where you could go and sit in, in a tube carriage next to some some life-size, or human-size minifigs that they build up. Hmm. And uh, they've got a huge Harry Potter wall display and all kinds of other stuff. I'll see if I can find something we can include in the show notes while Ooh, somebody changes the subject to something else. Yeah, well, you know, speaking <laughs> about building I nerd things. I know too much.
1: Whether it's in London or elsewhere, uh, we have a concept uh, from uh, Digital Trends, an article about metaversities. metaversities, (laughs) metaversities, um, where campuses are being built in the metaverse. Now these digital twins are stories, man, we've, we've talked about this already for years and years and years and years too. Um, I like the terminology. I think metaversity is kind of an interesting way to go and it takes some time to build buildings in any kind of virtual experience as we also know. But, um, I'm I'm curious to hear what your thoughts of this are because some of these pictures look an awful lot like what we were playing with um, in Second Life and 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 earlier even.
2: Gosh, that hasn't happened I, recently, has it? With anything
0: else? Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
2: There there the, there was a I can't
0: remember if it was a blog or a, a, an e-zine as they used to call them, uh, but metaversity. I think was a term used for education facilities within virtual environments. Uh, so metaversities is is you know a nice play on that, especially since they're talking about universities. And yeah, I mean there were there are many, many different universities uh, and other learning institutions that created um representation, digital representations of themselves back on the second life days, yep. back on active worlds, back on other platforms. Um, the, the more interesting part will be is if, and I, I haven't had a chance to look at the details or, or of, of uh, Morehouse that they did for this article or that this article talks about. So Morehouse university is uh, one of the historic black colleges and universities in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and I, what I'm not sure of is, am I able to, you know, put on um, an Oculus or, or something else and actually experience the entire campus, or is it more of a, a a virtual world type Second Life play? That that's what's not clear from my quick glance on the article. Uh, but it's it's really neat uh, that they are doing this again. Uh, and, you know, the more engaging they make it, uh, I think the better there is for that. Um, it has to be more than just tours, uh, more than just, you know, virtual classrooms, i.e. you know Zoom or WebEx meetings. Uh, but can you extend the full university campus experience uh, to remote locations using this technology? And I think each example that we talked about is trying to get further and further down that path. So be interesting to see if I can uh, get a view of this in more
2: detail. I have another question here, and that is the use of the terminology digital twin. Because, again, before um, the show, mm. Michael and I were starting to talk a little bit about metaverse, the language, and how a lot of uh, – and we spoke about this on the last couple of weeks' shows – a lot of – Virtual world experiences are being positioned now as the metaverse. That's it. that, that is the metaverse, um, or not even not or not just virtual worlds, but just 3D games, um, or some other right. kind of immersive type environment. Can we really see this as is? Is this really digital twin technology now? What do we mean by digital twin technology? I think the three of us would probably think about it in the sense of, and maybe I'm mistaken, um, you know, true uh, mirror. Physical virtual mirror of the real world down to high levels of detail, high levels of fidelity, um, including data feeds that mirror the real world. Absolutely, right. Right. You know, so that you know how fast that object is moving through your virtual space, or you know how how occupied that building or or vehicle is, Um, because those kind of things. And we spoke about this in the context of the U.S. military's. Um, program uh, around building a digital twin mm-hmm. and, and, and at a global scale uh, last week, I think, or the week before, Michael. But um, this refers to these universities as digital twins. It goes on to say that they are not photo realistic, but that they are sufficiently accurate Detailed. in terms of yeah. layout. Again, mm-hmm. I go back 15 years in, our, in my life to when I worked at IBM and I worked in a building called Hersley, uh, which is a beautiful campus yep. in uh, the uk um, and uh, one of our colleagues built a version of Hursley in second life now it wasn't anything really remotely like what we now think of in my opinion as digital twin it was very similar looking it had some spaces that you might recognize um, it had. It was. It was great. We had meeting rooms we could hang out in, but it wasn't really down to the level of going back to the the Jedi Temple, even down to the you know the minifigure scale, if you like, right? It wasn't yeah. that.
0: They, they probably didn't render out the bathrooms. But
2: then we also did experiments around the same time through Eight Bar uh, and and some of those ex- uh, other um, groups, where we were doing some work with the tennis championships at Wimbledon, and mm-hmm. our friend Epred and others were bringing in the Hawkeye feeds for the balls the ball so that we speed. could sort of yeah, map out I'll see those kind of things, right? So I think there's a, a, another, I don't know whether it's language transference, um, brand washing, however you might see it, perhaps, of uh, of how this is being described. I don't know. Maybe this is perfectly reasonable way to describe this as a digital twin. Maybe it's just a convenient way to describe it. Um, I just wonder whether that's how the three of us see it. Uh, no, not in this yeah, case. I,
0: I don't, because to me, yeah. if if it doesn't have data feeds and 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 real time data feeds, right, so that it truly is a twin of the environment it's supposed to be, it's it's not. Uh, it's a great representation. It could be a great tour. It could be a great. Uh, experience right but it's not a digital twin
2: and and when i was when i was using second life back in the day there were environments that were built to emulate uh certain cities um and i think amsterdam was one of them and Mm -hmm. uh if it wasn't amsterdam there was another place maybe somewhere in london but it was sufficiently you know you had that sense of uncanny Valley, not in a disconnection, but in the sense of actually, I feel like I have been here. I feel like I have remembered this space. So there's there's a, a level of fidelity you can get to without it going down to the data feeds and all of that sort of thing. But I think that when you look at technology projects like the Eclipse Foundation's projects around digital twins, they're much more focused on really genuinely modeling physics simulations in a virtual space that you cannot do easily in a physical space. So yeah, I I think it seems to me a little bit of a playing fast and loose with the the, those same, same words sprung
1: to mind for me, Andy, here, too. And I, and I don't think that perhaps uh, the author of this particular article maybe took it all the way down. Perhaps they were just standardizing on the notion that it is a representation, borrow M- Michael your phrase, of a building. Um, the digital twin for me, and, I, and I, this is what I think where we're all landing, would be I have a Rolls-Royce aircraft engine. And I can see how that engine is performing. I can shrink myself down and crawl around inside that engine and see where there may be a problem in the turbines or in some area of it that I couldn't physically do. And that would be a good representation. And the the physical equivalent of it that I'm reminded of too, is a data center. We, we had the notion of a data center. You could walk around the racks, you could see the lights that were blinking, yep. and it would give you a notion of, hey, here's an arrow pointing you at the server that looks like it's a problem, and you could investigate it in the virtual space and go, oh, now I understand yep. what's happening. And because you could travel or teleport or use your favorite language in the virtual space that much faster, there is a benefit to it, right? So, uh, excellent, excellent point, Andy. Well,
2: uh, about. I just want to be clear. I'm not being deliberately negative about this. I think this is a perfectly no. reasonable way of describing it. I just think from the from our shared context, I think we might all look at this a bit differently. And I do think that there's value in what's being built here and what's being done. Oh, sure. Uh, I think it's really interesting. And, and the fact is that very similar to what I just said around environments and Second Life, it does say that the. While the environments are not photorealistic, they represent enough that a visit to the university would would be would potentially feel at home. The other angle on in this particular story, before we move on, that I find engaging, is that it does also refer to the possibilities of doing things like historical time travel through an environment, um, you know, touring things like a human body from the inside. That those kind of things that. Gaming technology is absolutely ideal for, you know. We've been doing this stuff in games for, and 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 through before games through storytelling and books, you know, and painting virtual pictures in our in our minds' eyes by by think you know think it back to um, uh, amazing voyage right the the original sort of uh movie of of uh, incredible voyage amazing voyage fantastic I, voyage fantastic thank fantastic you fantastic voyage, voyage. matter voyage. of fact I saw multiple tweets about it today right and, and, <laughs> and about that movie. And, of course and, and then more recently although still 40 years ago uh, or 30 years ago honey i shrank the kids right so all of those kinds of um things this is just another way of recreating and taking those kind of things and then applying it to something like education which i think is fantastic and i'm gonna get off my soapbox
1: no uh, uh, i like that soapbox it's good there's room on it for all of us uh, un- unless it was a digital twin that was too small then it would be hard but we'll shrink ourselves down um The next story uh, is all about patenting and inventions, and and, uh, there's an intriguing new piece of news here from this article on August 8th, uh, saying that in the United States, the Federal Circuit Court has said in a ruling that artificial intelligence cannot patent and cannot be the legal inventor because it is not a natural person. So, well, Michael, we've,
0: we've kind of been following this have. story for some time. Yes, yes. Uh, we've talked about it before. Um, and, you know, there's been some some legal discussions going back and forth. And the article does a really good job of giving you that summary. Uh, but at least the the clarity is. <laughs> and as soon as I saw this, my, my, my little radar went off, um, you know, that uh, only Persons or individuals can be patent holders. That's that's the ruling. And that term individuals has been defined um, by the U.S. Supreme Court to mean a human being or a person. Right. Um, and, and my first gut reaction was, oh, so corporations can't hold patents. But then we've already discovered that, you know, corporations are people in the U.S., so right. I guess they can. Yeah. Uh, but uh, to, to, to kind of harken back to, to Michael's comment earlier uh, in the show, um, it reminded me tremendously, again, of the book uh, Accelerando by Charles Strauss, uh, which is uh, about an A.I. that was developed to fill in all the missing patents, basically. Um <laughs> uh, and uh, I think we, we mentioned that almost every time this article or its uh, children or parents pop up in the news uh, because it's just such a really good book um, about kind of the, the, it, the unexpected alternatives or, or issues that come up when, when you do all the patents. You have all the patents. All the patents are written. There are no new patents available. <laughs> well, I have, I have a couple uh, and of the thoughts. The
2: acceleration of technology i have a couple of thoughts one of them being that this is referring to personal pronouns and the examples given in the story are uh he and herself uh uh, him uh, sorry herself and himself um rather than terms such as itself which is a distinction however it doesn't get to uh, other pronouns that people choose uh, for themselves so um, yep. And I, and I've and I, I yet to come across anybody uh, human that refers to themselves, uh, or that the, which is. I'm already tying myself into linguistic um, <laughs> into a knot uh, here. Yes, into a knot in, as as itself, rather than any uh, than any other self. But that doesn't mean that those individuals don't exist. Um, I'm just not aware of them. And of course, if they, if I became aware of that, then that was their preferred choice of address, and that would be. Uh, that would be fine by me, but anyway, fine. Um, I I, th- I find that interesting. Um, the other angle here, though, is um, spinning off of this. Our friend Ian has been sharing over the um, a couple of um, well, the last twenty four hours. I think he's been playing with one of these image generation AIs and building some fun Lego uh, um, versions of different. Characters, including uh, the Lego Predator, of course. So I think we'll add a link to that yes. in the show notes because that was a fun one. I had a play with the same AI um, last weekend, I think. And this particular one is not Dali. Oh, that's the one that everybody ha- or lots of people have heard of. Um, but it's another one. And this one you interact with via a Discord chat server initially. Until and there's a free um, tier to to do lots of different things. But another thing I've read this week around Dali and these image AIs, one thing is that these things typically have licenses that essentially give up um, the rights to use what you, the language you use to generate the thing and the thing that is generated for different purposes um, so that you can potentially use um, it to generate a magazine cover um, without, and then print that magazine cover without it being a problem. Um, But the actual language you need to use to push down those AI generation paths to get the kind of good results that you might be looking for is very nuanced. And uh, I came up, with, I saw quite a good story this week that I think a couple of handbooks or like cottage industries for handbooks on the language you need to use to write a good Dali query or, or, or recipe is, is very specific.
0: I actually have a PDF presentation about 100 pages long on that (laughs) that I downloaded on on, on how to do it for a Dalai. And then I saw maybe the same article that you saw, uh, it was either yesterday or today, in one of my feeds of um, someone doing examples with llamas playing basketball. Yeah, that's
2: exactly the one I saw, um, Michael, yes, Uh, yes. uh I generated this llama playing basketball, but here's the number of steps I had to go through to get to it. And here's all of the things that I hadn't realized. And I was, when I was trying to, I was trying Dali mini, which is a a free one, but it's very, very poor quality comparatively to, and it's not even at all related to Dali, which is the one that lots of people talk about. Uh, And I was really struggling with coming up with terms that would generate anything that was, not a terrifying, nightmarish hellscape, <laughs> frankly. So, um, so, yeah. so,
0: kind of like my normal drawing skills, something like that. <laughs> I was thinking of your
2: drawing skills when I was. Uh... <laughs> I,
1: I do wonder if anyone has tried to use this uh, AI bot to draw the Disney Disney character Wally. Uh, that would be kind of a
2: funny <laughs> um, thing to do. I imagine it has. The um, I've just found Ian's, uh, Ian's tweet, and of course I'd forgotten the name of the AI that we were talking about, but that one is called Midjourney. Um, it gets a little chaotic, I found, interacting with it via Discord initially because lots of people are asking it to generate stuff all at once, and then it's throwing back four images, and then you can choose one of them or more of them to enhance or, or spin off. Or of, refine. It just becomes this incredibly fast-moving chat that you have to kind of try and keep up with.
1: That's entirely too funny. So, so, you know, this, this is an example of a drawing tool that's human, human augmented or maybe human led. So I do have to wonder in the patent space if you could now have a a patenting AI that helps the human achieve what they're looking to do. So just like what Charles Strauss wrote about, uh, you know, maybe that's the way to go. So it's not the AI that is submitting for patent. It is the human that is using this as an accelerator for them. And
0: well i th- I think that's what people are doing now mm-hmm. anyway right because uh even even the some of the early ones the the stories were uh related to you know you you do you assign it to the person who wrote the algorithm or the person who ran the algorithm
1: yeah Yes, yes, and algorithms are certainly patentable, uh, you know, as is the case right. in the quantum space usually, right now. So
0: they they're usually patented by the person who wrote it or the the I should say individual that wrote it.
1: But now the the AI is a tool, much like the mechanical pencil is a tool for the person doing the drawing that is of the mechanical environment that is the patent, too. So th- there's there's ways to move forward in all of this. And I guess, Andy, the experience that you were describing is uh, getting the AI to perform in the way that you want is non-trivial, right? And so it's it's not like, hey, <laughs> write me a patent that is N plus one better than this existing one. Well, well
0: what's interest it what's interesting is um the specificity mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And and the type of language in the specificity because you know it's it's just like writing a good search yes query. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? You you can get a 1,000 results uh, and they're all worthless, yeah, or you can get one and it's completely wrong, and, that. and then you can get two that are perfect, depending on how you structure this simple set of ands and ors. <laughs> and you
2: see, you said another one of those things that sparked my, my thought processes, and this is another one of the reasons I love doing this show with you both, uh, is that I was once had... Uh, I think I had a statement on a, a job application around my uh, expert skills with Google Search, and I and they kind of picked <laughs> this out and, and and commented on it and laughed at it. And I, and exactly what you just said, Michael. There is a there is a a skill and a knowledge and an art to some extent to uh, knowing how to phrase a search query to ask what you want. Now, mm-hmm. the, especially those of us. Um, with the greatest respect to, to our audience and to, to to all age groups, those of us that, that started using the internet and the web when Google first came out and when AltaVista was, you know, the, the king of the search the translation and will Web crawler. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Absolutely, web crawler, all of those had, had their own uh, formats that you kind of really needed to learn. Now, Google's done a really yep. good job of trying to get rid of that, that you can still do things with Google search that – Essentially, re- bring back some of those um, uh, logic operators. You know, if I put right. double quotes around something, it must be included. And, and uh, again, or, or, well, that used to be a plus, and I think that probably still uses, still works as well. So, um, those things they try to subsume into the language we use. Um, I it's it's. I was reading though as well, and I know that we're going to wrap up that. People are concerned about how poor Google is becoming um, at actually surfacing results that you're interested in, because it's so dominated by so many other interests now, and particularly mm. commerce. And in fact, things like Reddit and TikTok are becoming uh, very popular and very useful for search because they have the content and they have the index, and they're not. They may well both be trying also to inject other things into your attention. But right. Google is so they, they optimized gone for doing that.
0: to purely the profit motive. Right, right. They haven't gone purely to the, they're still in the growth motive, right? Um, Google has kind of maxed out on growth, right? So it's got to be profit.
1: <laughs> well, and monetization, who owns the content? So if I'm in the TikTok environment, do I want to surface it all via well, some other engine?
2: Well, on that basis, let's um, on on the basis of profit motive, Michael. Let's um, the, that you just brought up. Let's end on a fun thing that I saw on Twitter this week, um, oh, which yeah. is an upcoming game um, called Squirrel with a Gun. Um, <laughs> and uh, the squirrel. particular tweet, there's a the, quite Dan on Twitter who's uh, documenting creating this game, um, which is I think coming out next year. Uh, the particular tweet that is included here is uh, a squirrel, a squirrel with a gun. Um, just walking up to a, a, a player in this game and it's in an Unreal type environment, Unreal Engine 5 I believe they're using, <laughs> and then the guy goes, oh you know, cute little squirrel and suddenly the squirrel pulls out a gun and, and uh, performs a hold up um, so talking of yes. profit motive I thought that would be a nice way, he steals his iPhone in fact and runs off with his iPhone um, there's, a, there's a series of other amusing tweets and videos from this game um, it's an indie game, I'm looking forward to giving a go
1: looks fantastic all right well with that team what i fun. think we're gonna sign off for today and come on back again uh same bat time next week which is usually mondays we post we give our show notes we have all the good fun stuff and uh drop us a line in the meantime if you have something you'd like us to talk about so until then hope you enjoy and we'll see you again soon
2: y'all
0: come back now you hear <laughs> You've been listening to gamesatwork.biz, the podcast about gaming, technology, and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at at gamesatwork.biz or at our website at at gamesatwork.biz.